Hello, welcome to the Cities on the Frontline Urban Exchange Podcast. I'm Lauren Sorkin, Executive Director of the Resilient Cities Network. Together with Smart Cities World, we've created this space for city leaders and urban practitioners to share the opportunities and challenges they are grappling with as they drive transformative change in cities today. I would like to thank our sponsor, the World Bank, and you for joining us on the Urban Exchange Podcast, the premier urban resilience podcast taking us around the world to meet people working on the front line. So it's great to be here on the Urban Exchange podcast again. Today, I have Gareth Morgan with me. Gareth, you've been the Executive Director of Future Planning and Resilience Directorate in Cape Town since 2022. And previously, you were the Director of Resilience back in 2017. You've dealt with a lot of different shocks and stresses in that time, from day zero to COVID-19. How has resilience changed in that time, um, that practice? Do you see more opportunities really to, to implement resilience action today than before? Hi there, Lauren. Uh, yes, I think re- resilience has traveled a very interesting journey in Cape Town, as you say, from the day zero drought in 2017 to where we are today. It was significantly important to use the resilience approach in the response to the drought And we were able to use a similar approach in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. In that way, resilience is actually very much accepted as a way of responding, as a way of doing business in the metropolitan government of Cape Town. But it is also widely accepted amongst organizations, other spheres of government that operate within Cape Town. So we're very uh, grateful for the support that we have from the community of practice to date, whether it be the Resilient Cities Network or its predecessor, 100 Resilient Cities, because resilience as an approach is thriving in Cape Town, has significant acceptance. And we're now in a very exciting stage of embedding it in a range of organizational functions in the city of Cape Town. When you use those terms and talk about the momentum and embedding resilience in the institutions in Cape Town, looking back at where we started with resilience as a concept, as an approach, and then looking today at how the organization actually uses resilience, it's it's been quite the journey. Can you talk about what it means in Cape Town to really institutionalize resilience? Was Was there a certain turning point or were there certain actions and changes that um, were made in how the city was working to really bring resilience in and, and as you said, really make it the way the city does business? Yes. The important starting point, I think, was always the location of a resilience function in the executive management team of the city of Cape Town. My predecessor was located in that particular position, but resilience at that stage as a concept was, as I said, very much in a startup phase. But it was able to be leveraged uh, through the executive management team. And as it was an approach to, as I said, both Day Zero and COVID-19, many other senior organizational leaders were able to take notice of the approach and were able to see its effectiveness. And both those approaches were 
defined by the need to break down silos in an organization. And if there weren't structures that existed in order to respond to those two large shock events, then they were created. So I think leadership was very, very important. Recognition and political support was vitally important. And there has always been political support in Cape Town for the growth of the uh, resilience practice. Reflective learning along the way has also been important. The ability to understand what happened and to do deep reflection on what went right and what went wrong. And being able to go through those two journeys, plus the development of a resilience strategy, which was approved in 2019, puts the resilience function in a very interesting position at the change in political administration towards the end of 2021. And what happens in South Africa, it might happen in other parts of the world as well. You know, new political administrations will look at the macro structure of an organization and will suggest various changes to the macro structure. And that was a, an interesting moment because resilience at that time was able to be formally included in the naming convention of an entire directorate. Um, as you mentioned, it's called Future Planning and Resilience in the City of Cape Town. Uh, I've been fortunate to be chosen as the executive director of that function, which is approximately 300 staff now. We have a range of co-locations with other functions that significantly augment resilience even further. What's important as well is the new mayor of Cape Town, Jordan Hill-Lewis, makes resilience very much part of his business and his agenda in the city of Cape Town. And so I guess a number of uh, various aspects have aligned in Cape Town, which have allowed us to be in this position for significant embedding uh, and organizational uptake. But I would also say that that is reflective of uh, making sure that we fully embraced resilience in the preceding years, putting ourselves in a position where uh, both politically and organizationally, it was easy to embed it even further. It's a really helpful answer to, to hear how the practice of resilience started out, then became really part and parcel of the new political agenda supported by executive level positioning, then a really strong team, both that works at a central level and then has nodes in other departments to really coordinate this work. And, and I think you mentioned in the title of the department that the future aspect and the importance of connecting resilience and looking out into the future. Now, you are in Cape Town starting to work on a strategy 2050. Can you tell us more about this and, and how Cape Town is approaching it? What kinds of capacities are you planning to build through this effort? And does the existing resilience strategy provide some basis for this? What are the things that need to be taken further to develop this work? Well, res resilience is very much at the foundation of uh, this proposed 2050 strategy, which we are kicking off at uh, the moment. And in my own discussions with the executive mayor, he made it very clear that the 2050 strategy needed strong resilience foundations. So in that regard, the resilience strategy, which the mayor is a a uh, big fan of and regularly uh, references uh, in a range of engagements, uh, resilience is going to be vitally important. In fact, you would be interested to know that 
in one of our kickoff sessions that we'll be doing with councillors in the city of Cape Town uh, in less than two weeks' time, we're starting off with the methodology of mapping shocks and stresses uh, over a, um, I guess, a more significant timeline leading all the way up to 2050. So we are uh, certainly staying true to the methodologies of uh, resilience that so many cities around the world uh, started their own resilience journeys on. But what is the 2050 strategy? So we we obviously know that it is very, very difficult to try and predict the future, and that's not what we're trying to do. But we are also not wanting the future to simply happen to us. At the core of this, we want to create some propositions for what the future may look like across a range of particular dimensions. And working back from that, we want to be able to work out quite tangibly what do we need to be doing now and what do we need to be doing in, for example, five years' time so that we can have more control over the particular path that Cape Town may take as it heads to 2050. At its essence, I think that the 2050 strategy is going to give us increasing direction on the direction that we take infrastructure in the city of Cape Town. Uh, A recent product that uh, the Future Planning and Resilience Directorate produced was a 10-year infrastructure strategy which outlines our pipelines for infrastructure development across energy, water, waste, human settlements, and mobility up until approximately 2032-23. We want to be able to extend that pipeline quite significantly and having an eye on what the needs in 2050 are and trying to work out what those investments are now is the key purpose of the 2050 strategy. I really liked what you said there about kicking off with the shocks and stresses because of how it empowers a city to have that honest look at what are the problems. And, and not in a way that lists them as complaints, but actually, as you said, manages them and makes it so that the future isn't going to happen to us. And I think that, that that's really the concept here is that we know that there are going to be shocks and stresses. We know perhaps even what kind of shocks and stresses they may be. So what investments can we make so that we're better prepared? I think this may resonate with you. Gareth, I was with Leanne Dalziel, the former mayor of Christchurch, and we were talking about resilience planning. And she said, you know, I'm really tired of hearing that this shock or that shock was unprecedented. Why are we continually surprised? No, we really shouldn't be surprised. It sounds like the direction of this strategy is really taking Cape Town in the direction of being better prepared and managing those possibilities together. So coming back to that portfolio planning, you know, recently uh, you shared with the network a really incredibly helpful study on how Cape Town is doing a capital portfolio management approach that embeds resilience and looks at business continuity services and risk management. And I think after COVID-19, this came to the forefront of every city's mind and every business's mind. What is my vulnerability? What does my supply chain look like? So can you talk to us a little bit more about this process? How is it that Cape Town is integrating the principle of resilience in portfolio management? And 
you know, were you surprised by any of the findings that, that you had when, when you started to do this work? How do you think other cities can learn from what you've done in Cape Town? So about two years ago, we made sure that in our capital management, the, the system that we're able to do these portfolios across sectors, we made sure that there was coding in our systems that allowed for the project managers to tag their projects for the resilience benefit of the project. We're applicable, of course, but almost every single capital project has a resilience benefit. So we now have thousands of projects over the that are in our system, not only over the next decade, but even way beyond that, which are tagged for the most relevant shocks in particular, but also stresses. By doing that, we're able to now do significant analysis of the portfolio to understand the extent to which the portfolio is responding to the need. And I think that this is a big maturity uh, component of Cape Town's journey. So we're far more interested now in understanding what the totality of the need is against any particular shock event. So we now know the extent to which we are mature or not against the most prominent shocks. And, And these are particular the climate shocks. So, for example, our water, our bulk water portfolio, and let's say that that needs to be responsive to drought, is a highly mature portfolio because we know what the changing nature of risk is. We've modeled it against the climate projections for Cape Town, and we have built a 10-year portfolio that responds to that particular risk. So that, you know, in plain language is 300 million liters a day of additional water from three typologies, uh, which is groundwater abstraction and then recharge, uh, water reuse and uh, permanent desalinization. So that is example of a, of a mature pipeline that is fully invested in. We are committed to doing it Some of those projects are well into execution and some are in advanced planning. But then we're also able to look at other particular shock events and say, you know what, these are portfolios that are not mature. So an area that we're now putting a lot more planning work into is to flooding. We know that our portfolio of flood-related projects is not where it should be today. We have an excellent line of sight on probably the next six years of projects. But the problem we have is we don't have a good handle on the entire need. We have 21 catchments in Cape Town, and we don't have the significantly advanced planning across all of those catchments. So at the moment, we're investing heavily in the advancement of catchment management plans, which will result in the development of projects, which will enter our capital management system and will increase the maturity. And at, at, at all stages, we want to be able to have a solid 10-year view uh, of the city. And as we grow, we'll try even to have longer portfolios. The other area which uh, we know that we don't have enough projects to respond to the need is in coastal defense. Cape Town, interestingly, has a very, very large coastline, 307 kilometers in metropolitan Cape Town. And once again, we have projects in that pipeline for approximately the next five to six years, but we don't have a total sense of what the need is in order to be resilient against coastal processes over time. So that is where we are. 
Um, so in some areas, good. In some areas, and we're very, it's a very important for us now to completely acknowledge our vulnerabilities. The executive mayor has a strong commitment to openness with residents of Cape Town. And in areas where we are not good enough, he has made it very clear to the future planning and resilience team that that must be made known to residents who can hold us accountable. And then year on year, as we republish our reports on the next 10 years, the residents are able to hold us accountable to areas that we have previously highlighted as being deficient. I think those are really powerful lessons because if you do what you're saying in Cape Town, in other cities, you really open the conversation to, as you were saying, a totality of need and to acknowledging that in some areas, the city may have that complete line of sight and a portfolio that's very robust in responding to a need. But in other areas, it's just getting started or needs a lot more information or or resources to do this work. But by making that vulnerability public, by sharing that and having the conversation about it publicly, you can actually attract the right kinds of attention for that work, meaning the accountability from the community, but also potentially the partnerships. And and that's where I wanted to, to take the conversation with you next, Gareth, because you've been a spokesperson for resilience in the city of Cape Town, but but also internationally, speaking about the experience with Day Zero, with COVID-19. What kinds of partnerships and collaborations have you been able to, to strike through this work? And what kind of connections do we need to really reach out and make to continue to build resilience? So interestingly, in the Future Planning and Resilience Directorate in Cape Town, we um, have invested heavily in the creation of specialist staffing positions on uh, technical partnerships. So we have two very, very highly skilled uh, colleagues whose job is to search the horizon for opportunities for partnering and to particularly attempt to source, for example, technical partnership funding and also to engage with uh, the financial institutions. So my directorate uh, doesn't uh, directly work on the financing uh, components of infrastructure and resilience responses, but we, of course, have a very close relationship with our finance colleagues. But we certainly continually build relationships with the big development finance institutions and other multilateral organizations for the purposes of trying to secure uh, donor funding. Uh, and we're proving it's proving to be very, very successful uh, in that regard, and also uh, working in partnership with finance in order to uh, ensure uh, competitive financing options uh, for the city of Cape Town. So that's a big area that we have invested in in, in in recent years. And I must be clear that resilience is probably the most important topic that the big finance institutions at the moment want to talk about. Um, in my most recent engagement with uh, risk colleagues of a big DFI that uh, we wanted to do business with in recent times, almost the entire conversation from the risk uh, staff of that institution was about climate change and climate resilience. And so we were able to assure them, obviously, by pointing to our recent history, pointing to our strategic documents, pointing to a record of thoughtfulness and success, that we were a good partner 
uh, for them. And so um, we have found that very, very useful. So that's probably the first area of partnerships is around finance and technical support, which I think is important in continuing to grow and mature any practice in a city. And some of those, let me say, are quite specific. It's sometimes a little bit beyond uh, resilience, but it is in supporting functions which are important. So what's important for future planning and resilience is our relationship with organizations and international organizations that specialize in project management. We in um, future planning and resilience know that our secret weapon is a highly advanced project program and portfolio management capability that is able to prepare projects and that is able to assess projects for readiness before they compete for finance. And so we have very, very strong international links, for example, with the International Project Management Association, uh, and we use their methodologies to grow the maturity of project management in the city of Cape Town. I think the other sphere of partnerships which is important is with local sector organizations. We have very strong organizations in Cape Town. Uh, I can name a few by name, one being the Green Cape Sector Development Agency, which focuses on the green economy. We have another one, the Western Cape Economic Development Partnership, which focuses on uh, cooperative governance and collaborative leadership uh, between civil society and government and between government and government. So we invest heavily in those organizations and put the work into those organizations. So that's another example of partnerships which are important to us. And then we have our international organization partners, which are important from a community of practice point of view. So Resilient Cities Network um, is the one that foregrounded uh, resilience in the world and, and remains uh, prominent in that space and is maturing as well uh, beyond the, the phase of the 100 resilient cities. And we're very grateful for that partnership. And then there are other, obviously, city partnerships as well, which are prominent in our space, which are known to most prominent cities in the world, including the likes of ICLE and C40 and the like. And so we play in all of those spaces. We always try and leverage opportunities which are mutually beneficial. You know, we manage to build relationships with other organizations. So indeed, partnerships are very, very important. And uh, we put a huge amount of work into growing and supporting our practice in Cape Town through partnerships. It's really well said, Gareth, in terms of the scope of the partnership, but also the need to have specialized partnership leads, folks who understand how to actually get out there and develop the relationships with finance to bring the funding in. And it's true that funding institutions and financing institutions are really trying to increase their investment in that prevention, in that resilience building, and not in reactive mode. So this is a moment when if you can articulate, and that comes to your second piece of this, having a team who can articulate and develop projects very well and know where to take those and partner with other institutions to develop them is, is really key. I wanted to go then down to the ground into those projects and into the work that you do um, in the community, because when crises hit, it's really those communities on the ground and their capacity to respond that helps to extend the ability of, of the city to respond and get to very vulnerable areas. How does Cape Town really approach this at the ground level? And there, are there learnings that you would want to share from the recent experiences in Cape Town for other city leaders to learn from? At the community level, Cape Town uh, and resilience is 
an approach which is driven in one uh, angle by the councillors of the city of Cape Town. We have a large, we're a very big metropolitan government, and we have sub-council structures in the city of Cape Town, which maintain relationships with civil society organizations. Uh, Each of them maintain uh, databases in that regard, so that during times of particular need, so for example, a shock event, those organizations can be leveraged for the extension of the resilience effort, but there are also obviously sometimes opportunities as well for funding because some things are simply done better by civil society organizations than by government. So a good area where the city collaborates extensively with civil society organization is in the homelessness challenge in the city of Cape Town. So like many big cities in the world, we have a significant number of people who are sleeping rough on the streets. And uh, the response to those issues is a combination, a partnership between the city of Cape Town's, for example, social development function, as well as community organizations that uh, seek to improve uh, safety and uh, responses in that particular space. So we maintain you know, large links with, with civil society. An interesting project we created during covid which we continue to run is a uh, application called the Vulnerability Viewer uh, for Cape Town, which allows a city of Cape Town uh, staff to be able to access a map viewer, which maps civil society organizations across the city. Um, during COVID, we had a particular focus on organizations working in the humanitarian food space, and we try and keep that as up to date as possible, which allows uh, city officials as well to be able to refer particular issues to uh, civil society organizations. But mostly it allows for uh, our officials in the city of Cape Town to understand the reach and purpose of different organizations across the city. We have a formal uh, grant in aid process, which we uh, conduct each year, where we give grants to civil society organizations across a range of different functions. So I mentioned homelessness, but there are other functions as well, which allows uh, civil society organizations to continue their operations in a range of different spaces. And all of that creates a significant redundancy in the system because Cape Town's actually very lucky. It has a highly active civil society. It is a legacy of the fight against apartheid. Um, You know, it's always had a vibrant civil society. It's probably much broader now with a much larger range of topics. But we're very thankful that there are so many organizations working on so many topics that can lean in in times of crisis and contribute. And of course, my colleagues in the Disaster Risk Management Center who respond to acute shocks uh, in the moment, particularly like fires or flooding events and the like, uh, also maintain strong relationships with particularly civil society organizations working in the humanitarian relief space. Thanks, Gareth. I think from all of this, you've really shared the experience from Cape Town, which is as inspiring as it is practical. It's really a story of how with the day zero stress that was heard around the world as this potential looming disaster for the city was really taken, got the resilience practice to the next level and is now embedded from the executive level in the department that you are leading and coming in down to the practice that you have with 
partners, businesses, and community groups on the ground embedded in portfolio management and now being taken to the next level in the the strategy 2050. It's been such a pleasure to have you as part of the, the podcast today. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners? So one cannot uh, always have an exact idea on what the next shock event will be. And the resilience practice obviously tries to identify the most plausible shock events. And we never had the pandemic as one of our uh, prioritized shocks in our resilience strategy back in 2019. But the question to ask is, does that pose a credibility challenge to the resilience practice? And the answer is absolutely not. We have found in the city of Cape Town that the practice of resilience, uh, the associated tools and the mindset that goes with resilience allows you to build strength against any shock, no matter what it will be. And just as a little anecdote, uh, when we were in the early, the weak early signal stage of the COVID-19 pandemic, let's say early February 2020, we knew we had to do something. Um, it was probably still a good four to five weeks before the first COVID case in South Africa. The resilience team and our project management team started by taking out the learnings from the day zero drought. Two radically different shock events and said, what did we learn from the drought and how are we going to use this in order to respond to COVID? We don't have the ability to be able to predict the future, but what we can do is build capacity and to institutionalize and to learn. And by doing that, our ability to respond to whatever the future throws us is significantly increased. Thanks for the opportunity to join you on this podcast. Thank you so much, Gareth. Every year, more than a million people read Smart Cities World and 40,000 members gain access to special reports and content. Members include officials from more than 2,000 cities, with new members signing up every single week. Our Urban Exchange podcast takes us around the world to meet people working on the front line. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. We'll catch you next time.